the emotions, concerns, fears, and responsibilities of managing money and building wealth are different for first-generation professionals. Hello, 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 and welcome to More Than Money, a podcast where we have nuanced conversations about money, business, and life, where we take the time to explore the human side of money, because success, well, it's never just about the numbers when it comes to money. I'm your host, Jacquette Timmons, and I'm really, really glad you've taken the time to tune in and join me today. And hey, quick announcement before we dive into today's episode. I cannot believe that it is mid-November already. And I'm sharing that with you because, or reminding you of that, because my 2021 coaching calendar is open for just another four weeks. So if you want to get a head start on designing a business that prioritizes the health of your personal finances, and you want to get in at least one coaching session before we close shop for the rest of the year, well, then send me a DM on Instagram. We'll send you a link to my calendar so that we can hop on a complimentary discovery call, see where you are, see where you want to go, and seeing if I can help you. How's that sound? (laughs) In the meantime, let's get on to today's show. So recently, I got an inquiry about a possible speaking engagement. If it happens, it'll be for the firm's affinity group of first-generation professionals. And when I got the notice on my website, I swooned. Now, you might be saying to yourself, Jacquette, you really need to get a life if that is what makes you swoon. But hear me out. Most diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives center on the usual groups of gender, race, and sexual orientation. And yes, first-generation professionals are often a part of these groups. However, they are rarely seen as being separate from these groups, too. And the fact of the matter is this. Once you add on first generation to any of the other affinity group descriptors, well, you are also adding an additional layer of unique emotions, concerns, fears, and responsibilities, especially when it comes to managing money and building wealth. So yeah, I was beyond delighted when I got that notice, and even more so once we got on the phone and had a little chat because I love helping people manage the demands and the pressure points that they will inevitably bump up against due to being either the first in their family to graduate college and possibly have an advanced degree and or the first in their family to start their careers earning six figures and or the first in their family to create the family's financial legacy, like to be the springboard for that. And you might say, really, like math is math, the money is money. And you would be right, because sure, the mechanics of money are the same for everyone. Two plus two, you know, equals four. And it's going to be that way for me. It's going to be that way for you. It's going to be that way for another person. So you're right. The mechanics of money are indeed the same for everyone. But the choices, the boundaries, and the trade-offs regarding the day-to-day realities of money, along with creating and preserving wealth, 
they are indeed different for first-generation professionals. And it's why I really appreciated the firm's additional angle toward DEI. And if you're listening as a first-generation person, you may be able to relate to one or more of the following examples of what makes you different from your peers who don't fit into that category. The first is what I like to describe and call uh, pride and guilt, right? Because the pride comes in from the standpoint of you've achieved your education goal and you got an amazing job and you are earning a lot of money by many standards, but especially relative to your family. That's the pride part. Here's where guilt might enter into the picture. How do you say no to a family member in financial need when they, and I say this in air quotes, know you have money? And I I put air quotes around that because they don't likely know exactly how much you earn, but they just know, oh, well, they do X, Y, and Z, so they must earn a lot of money. But the piece of the puzzle that they don't have insight into is they have no idea of your expenses, especially if you are also paying off a six-figure student loan debt. Or what about this as an example? What about your friends from back home? You know, these are your homies. These are the, the folks that you really enjoy, that they've known you for, you know, probably all your life. And let's say you want to go on this really, really fancy vacation and you'd love to have them join you for this experience. But where you want to and can now afford to go for this fabulous holiday is just way out of financial possibility for them. So do you invite them and offer to cover some of their expenses? Do you invite them and run the risk of having them feel uncomfortable with having to say no? Or do you exclude them from such experiences to spare everyone any potential discomfort and awkwardness? Then there's what I call the juggle. How do you manage and prioritize enjoying your money, paying off your debt, saving and investing for the future? And sometimes not just your future, but possibly that of your immediate family members and perhaps your extended family too. Another piece of the the juggle is if you've got this really fancy job, but at the same time, you are also working until 11 p.m. almost every night. How do you avoid then the mindless spending and how and when do you educate yourself about your investment options? Yes, the juggle is real and yes, you're too tired and you don't want to do some of the things that responsibly managing your money requires of you. But you also have to then decide at one point, do you stop using the juggle, real or not, as an excuse? Then there's finally what I would describe as new habits, new patterns. As a first-generation professional, you are now spending even more time both professionally and socially with second- and third-generation wealth builders. Even if you aren't having direct conversations with them about money, you are observing the habits they practice and the choices they make. What are you taking away? taking away from those observations? What are you doing differently as a result of? 
And what's new to you that you are in turn bringing back and sharing with your family and friends? <laughs> when the person from the firm shared that they were looking for a knowledgeable speaker who could focus on the questions and issues relevant to first-generation professionals, I was like, yeah, I'm your person. And I thank my very first coaching client for this, along with the other first-generation professionals with whom I've worked over the last 20 years. In case you're new to the pod and you didn't know, I started my business in 1995 as a registered investment advisory firm. The coaching arm of my business started in 2001 under the most unlikely of circumstances. I say unlikely because, quite frankly, it wasn't intentional. And it was requested by someone who, by some standards, quote unquote, should not have needed to work with a financial coach. Let's call him Client M. Client M worked as an investment banker at one of the most prestigious investment firms and was a graduate from one of the most coveted MBA programs. He called and he said, I need help. I can sit in the boardroom and negotiate M&A deals, but I can't manage my own money. And yes, all these years later, the reason why I can quote that verbatim is because it was in my notes. And yes, I still have my notes. And I knew admitting this was a BFD for him for a whole host of reasons. And I am so thankful that A, he trusted me, and B, he reached out that he didn't let the pedigree of his Ivy League education and white shoe work experience prevent him from asking for help. Because client M, client M was drowning financially, mostly because he wanted to financially take care of his family back home. But the reality of the numbers was proving that he could not continue doing so, at least not the way that he was. At least not if he also wanted to be in a position to take care of them in the future too. So in our coaching engagement, we went about developing a game plan to get his finances back into the black. And we also created a communication plan to facilitate his conversations with his family members in order to help them adjust to his true financial capacity to help them. That's a long way of saying he needed to say no, he needed to create some boundaries, but he also needed to gradually get them from where they were and what they had become accustomed to in terms of him being there for them financially and where he needed them to be, again, in order for him to stay in the black for himself, but to also be able to take care of them in the future. And this was tricky territory. So helping him negotiate this tricky territory is quite frankly why I started the coaching pillar of my business. And having him as my first client shaped a few key decisions that I made about my coaching practice. Beginning with, he's the reason why I never focused exclusively on coaching women. I've had many men in my coaching practice over the years. And he's also the reason why I've made it my mission to provide financial coaching to highly educated high earners. 
so that they'd have a safe place to say, I may be good at A, B, C, or X, Y, and Z, but I need help here. I'm that person if ever you need help in that regard. Anyway, in addition, because of our work together, he ended up helping me to develop some strategies that I still use today to help first-generation professionals navigate the unique emotions, concerns, fears, and responsibilities that they have when it comes to managing money and building wealth. And back to the firm that reached out to me, well, hopefully I'll get a chance to share some of these strategies with them. But in the meantime, hopefully today's episode is giving you something to think about, either for yourself or to pass along to someone that you know. And be sure to come back next week because with the holiday season nipping at our heels, it's the perfect, even if a little bit awkward, time to talk about money with the important people in your life. And I'm gonna share some tips on topics to discuss and ideas on how, especially if you've got some resistant family members. Well, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for spending time with me today and listening all the way into this point. And remember, I have some openings to work with me in my private one-on-one coaching practice, but we've just got four more weeks to get that first session scheduled. So if you want to explore working together, send me a DM on Instagram and we will send you a link to my calendar so that we can schedule an exploratory call. If you'd like to show appreciation for this podcast or perhaps this particular episode, please share it so that we can reach more people. Share it from whatever platform you're listening to it from. Or maybe you're even on our site. And if you'd like to buy me a coffee, here's how you can do that. Buymeacoffee.com forward slash jaquette. Buymeacoffee.com forward slash jaquette. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and again, listening all the way until the end. I'll be back next week. I hope you will too. Until then, remember, it's about more than money.